What's happening, everybody? This is Ryan here for the Scale Up Show. I have Bob Lute today, who is the founder of Weaviate, awesome founder. He actually has an open source AI model that they're leveraging for vector databases, which sounds very complex, but we break it down super simple. And this is going to be the wave that complements the large language models like OpenAI and Claude and some of these other ones. But Really, really unique things that we get into, like agents, how to build agents on top of a open source model, um, the how they monetize an open source model. And he, we talk about how you can lose, use solutions like his to be the easiest way to build and scale AI applications. So uh, really interesting episode. We've talked a lot about things that I've never talked about before on the show. So I think you'll enjoy it. I look forward to having you on and then hope you check it out. How do you grow like a VC-backed company without taking on investors? Do you want to create a lifestyle business, a performance business, or an empire? How do you scale to an exit without losing your freedom? Those are the questions, and this show is the answer. Welcome, everybody, to The Scale-Up Show. This is your host, Ryan Staley, and I have a very special guest with me today. So, very, very unique guest. He is a TEDx talk speaker, spoke about digital technology through the lens of language. He's also the chairman of the Creative Software Association. And on top of that, if that wasn't enough, is also CEO and co-founder of an open source AI company called Weaviate. So the, I have Bob Van Loot with me today. Yeah, yeah good, it. good. I pronounced it right. So Bob, welcome. Happy to have you on the show, man. Yeah, thanks for having me, Ryan. It's uh, great to be yeah, here. Yeah, this Thank is going to be fun. Uh, I love what you're doing. Love the concept of, of your business model that we're going to get into that we talked about in the pre-show. So before we get too deep into kind of what you, you do as a company and, and where you are, let's do a real quick revenue rundown. So I guess like if we look at it, what does your company do exactly? What does Weaviate do? Let's start there. Yeah, so Weaviate is an, a software infrastructure company and then specifically in databases. And what our database specializes on is something called vector embeddings. So it's called a vector database. And the reason that there is a lot of interest right now in the industry for vector databases is because machine learning models um, output vector embeddings. So it's a way of storing and searching through and indexing data. Mm -hmm. And I guess the majority of people, uh, unless they've been living under a rock, uh, have heard everything that's happening in AI right now. So, um, and we are the core infrastructure piece of that. So we do not have, we're not a B2C company or B2B company. So we, you know, we work with developers who build AI native applications. Okay, love that, man. And then where are you guys at in the revenue journey in terms of like the size of the company, funding, things along those lines? Yeah, so the company is founded in 2019. Um, we launched our, uh, we're open source, launched our, our commercial offering in April this year. Um, we are Series B right now, which we did in um, April. And we have 50 people right now. So uh, completely remote. 15, so you said? Uh, we're from 50? all the way from 50, 50. Oh, five, zero. So okay, that's from, from the West Coast uh, to Berlin. Okay, <laughs> that's awesome. And where do you reside most of the time? So I'm Dutch. So for me, home is is Amsterdam, but you know the majority of our user and customer base is in the U.S. So I'm I'm very often in the uh, in the uh, in the U.S. I'm I'm in the U.S. right now. So it's like a very often. Okay, time. love that man. So uh, as we kind of talk through that, like one of the things that I was curious on you. So you got fifty. Like, what's your go to market, and how does an infrastructure company that's open source grow the business? Like, what do you focus on? How do you grow that? Like, what's your approach? Yeah, so 
What, so what you so we're an open source company, right? So um, so what you do is that you create something that when you start you don't know yet, but that hopefully is of value to um, uh, uh, to people. And then the moment that you figured out what the what the value is, so for open source, the the market fit is basically determined through downloads, users, community engagement, those kind of things. And when that market fit is established, then there are certain things that people need. So we have a so-called bottom-up approach, bottom-up, and you need to think bottom-up to the organization. So where you start with developers and then top-down would mean if you go to C-level down. So you have a, you have a, um, a, a bottom-up motion. And basically these developers, they need things, right? So they need things besides the core technology. So sometimes that's in the form of features, but that can also be a managed services that can be the form of, of, of um, uh, certain types of support, all those kind of things. And that's where you, where you build your business around. So a way to think about it is like you have a core. The core is open source. That's in our case, a database. And then you have this huge opportunity around it to create a business, but it's focusing on creating value for the customers first and we also make a distinction between users and customers okay so user and a cost the, the big difference is like a customer pays for something right mm-hmm. um but a user just uses the uses the technology and um, and a user converts into a into a customer if they need some of these additional services but theoretically speaking if somebody just wants to build everything themselves they can do that with the open source technology that's fine um, uh, but we have these services around it, and that's that's the that's the go-to-market model. And um, there are many, many, many ways and many playbooks how you can execute that with open source. And it's that just it's, it's it's very exciting. So give me give me like a more detailed example, and and ex, you know not not to go all AI on you, but explain to me like I'm a 12 year old, right? In terms of the the type of services that you would provide on top of the open source model, uh, and then like yeah, you know like how that's monetized. I mean that would be great to understand because like. We, we talked about this a little bit in the pre-show, but there's there's other open source models like Hugging Face and uh, a lot of new open source money that's getting poured into it, especially after the open AI situation that happened about a week and a half ago from recording. So we'd just love to hear that, man. <clears throat> yeah, so I can I can lay that out for you. It's a, um, um, I need some time to do that. So there's like a little bit of preamble <laughs> to, to it, but it's like, it might, it might be of interest. So... There's a couple of things here. So the first thing is that, so if we if we just park AI for now, just talk about the open source model. Okay. So let's say that you create a piece of software and the piece of software does something extremely simple. So ignore the fact that it's extremely simple, but it just, it just adds two numbers together, right? It's a piece of software and it's a function. And if I give like five and, 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 and six, it outputs 11. Yeah. So you make that you make that available. There are two ways how you can do that. You can do that like in a closed source way, or you can do that in an open source way, right? So if you make that available in an open source way, people start to use it, and or they don't. But if they start to use it, you're like, hey, there's something there. People like to add numbers together, and apparently, it's let's assume that it's too hard for them to build that themselves, or it takes too much time, so they start using it. The beautiful thing that starts to happen with a community that's more that's harder to do with closed source is that maybe the community reaches out. It's like, hey, we're using that function that you created, right? Mm-hmm. But, you know, um, we actually don't only want to just um, add numbers together, but we also want to be able to subtract from, uh, you know, numbers. And you know what? We just added something to your technology that we can do that now so others can enjoy that too. That's one thing. And then when it comes to business, is that people say, like, hey, it's a great piece of technology, but we don't want to be bothered with running it because, you know, the thing is we're, we're very busy 
and we just need to have uptime guarantees on running this function of adding numbers together. Can you do that for us? Sure, we can. And that you see slowly here organically the business starts to emerge. And, and this can go very far. I mean, the, the open source companies that are very well established, they, you can, they're like even like training programs that you can say, okay, we can help you to make sure that, you know, that you make the best use of this function that adds two numbers together through our cloud service. And you know what? We can also sell you some training that you can make the best use of that in your business and so on and so forth, right? So that is the first thing. And if you have closed source, it's, it's harder to get that input and that help from the community that you're building. Mm. It's just harder to do that. So it's not a, it's not, it's just a way. It's not a better way. It's not a worse. It's just a way of doing it. And, and open source works great for that. Now, that brings me to the second thing. And that is the, um, um, that if you build core infrastructure technology, like we're doing, it is extremely hard to do. So if your listeners go like, oh, databases, you know, we might buy a couple of them or I don't know. Let me tell you, building a database is extremely hard because um, it tends to be the case that people, the stuff that they put in the database, they like to be able to get it out again. <laughs> and then they like to be that that's the same stuff that they put in, right? So, and that to do that, that's what we call the reliability aspect. That is very hard. So, so the thing which you start to get is like a company, um, Maybe with the exception, if you're like a really big tech company, mm -hmm. like the Googles of this world, but the majority of companies, they're not going to build their own database technology because it's like, it's very hard to do. It takes a lot of expertise, many years. So what, there's a very logical thing that people have money go, you know, from, from their bank account to your bank account for you to give that guarantee that the database is reliable and that the database does um um, what you say that it does, right? So that is how that business model starts to emerge. And we have databases in many, many different um, 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 areas. So you have like um, um, uh, analytical databases like the Snowflakes, ClickHouses of this world. You have graph databases like Neo4j. And then we have vector databases like Weaviate that's specifically working with these, with these models. And that brings me to the third thing that I want to touch upon. And that is the, um, if you look at, at, selling software, open source software from a, um, from a business perspective. One thing, one way to just to slice and dice it up is take, um, ask yourself the question like, is a technology um, stateful or stateless? What do I mean with that? An example of stateless technology is an MP3 file. So an MP, so if I listen to a piece of music mm -hmm. and I send it to you, right, I just over email, then the, the value of the MP3 file exists twice, but it might not be the case that you can actually um, uh, capture that value twice, right? So that's what we saw like in the early 2000s with like the Senate hearings and Napster and that kind of stuff, right? Um, or if you create stateful technology, for example, a great example of something that's stateful is something like, less, uh, like a, a Excel, right? So if you add something to Excel and you shut down your computer and you start it up again, you want to have the numbers and the formula still, still in there. Now, what are examples of things that are stateful and stateless? Machine learning models are stateless. Databases, AI databases like what we have are stateful. So that means that the businesses that start to emerge around these open source stateful applications and stateless applications are very different. Hmm. So for us, our model, our business model, our go-to-market evolves around keeping the state. So people 
basically people gave us money to make sure that whatever they put in that thing, if they start it up again, that it's the same thing. But that is different and more difficult for an AI model because an AI model has the same properties as an MP3 file. And that is, if I send an AI, um, an AI model to you, Ryan, we have the value twice, but we might not be able to capture the value twice. So the business model that evolves around that is different. That might be around um, a, more the, you know, quote unquote, Spotify model. Mm -hmm. right? So you see a lot of machine learning model providers keeping their model behind an, 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 uh, an, an API layer because then they can keep control over that um, uh, um, that model, like Spotify keeps control over these the, the MP3 files, if you will. And um, that is how these diff these open source businesses diverge, right? So you always ask yourself, is this stateful, like a database, or is it stateless, like a machine learning model? And then from there on, you know, business models really, you know, differ. So then, then they're not similar anymore. Excellent, man. I think that was that was a good summary. So, give me if you could some like ideal use cases for a stateful model, where specifically as it relates to AI. So, like, what type of uh, examples could you you reference like that in in terms of the the business world? Yeah. So, what you want if you if you build a if you build a database like like what we're doing um, is that um, you want two things, or, uh, ideally both, but one of, one of two things. Or the your database is a system of record where people say, hey, working with these AI models and these databases is so crucial for our business. If we take it out, our business is gone. Mm -hmm. So it's a system of record. So these vector embeddings and the data of these AI models stored in the database. That that's one thing, that sits in the um, in the reliability um, uh, bucket basically. So it, we we must be able to trust on your database, or things like um, more in the operational side that people say like, okay, we 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 just we're dealing sometimes with like hundred million uh, requests a day. We need to make sure that you can serve that that your database can actually do that within a reasonable price range, and then the holy grail is both. That people say, and we're dealing with so many requests, and it's a it's a system of record. So that is something. Um, those kind of use cases are the are the uh, um, uh, the most important for your um, uh, as a database company. And the big th shift that has been happening in my industry, and bear in mind, my industry is very young, right? I think the the vector database category emerged around 2019, I would say. So it's very young. Um, was that before it was like a displacement service, nice to have, better search thing. But then with the explosion of everything AI, when people start to build what we like to call AI native applications, so not having some machine learning stuff sprinkled over their applications, but have that at the core. Now, all of a sudden, the role of these databases became more important. Mm -hmm. And therefore, the go-to-market opportunity became bigger because people said, like, if it's a nice to have and the service doesn't really work, then people go like, Oh yeah, that's unfortunate. But you know, it was down for five minutes. You know, it, that's unfortunate. But you know, who cares? But now you go like, no, no, no. It cannot even be down for like you know, five seconds, right? It needs to be up all the time, and people are willing to pay for that. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. So that's that's uh, that's some real, real good insights in terms of that. And it's interesting. I didn't know it was that young. I didn't know it's only been really around since nineteen. So how did I mean? That's when the company was started. So. How did you have the foresight to say, hey, this is something that I need to run forward and create a company about? So 
I was, so before I started this company, I was working as I, as I had another business, it was a consultancy business uh, in software, obviously. <laughs> and um, I was, um, my company was hired by a, um, a publishing uh, company. And one of the things that they were asking was like, how can we create better products for our current customer base than just, you know, selling, uh, uh, you know, publications and articles, that kind of stuff. And, and machine learning, that was around 2016. There were like these new machine learning models, not to be compared with what we're talking about today with the big GPT models, et cetera, but just the, you know, the, the, the earlier versions of those. And because maybe we can do something with that. So we started to play around with that, look into it. And one thing that I figured out was that it was like, hey, actually you can do search with this. You can, you can, you can better index and better search data. And for, for your listeners, the example that I always give is like, I mean, if you store, if, if you work with data, you need to store it, but you also need to be able to retrieve it because if you store it and you can't get it out anymore, that's like, it's useless. And um, the problem we had was that most search was always keyword based. So if I store something in a data object that says the Eiffel Tower is in Paris, um, I only could get it out by searching for Eiffel Tower, Paris, or a combination of those words. But if I search for landmarks in France, you couldn't find it, right? And these AI models enabled us to do that. And the, these vector embeddings play an important role in that. And then I was in, um, I was a part of a community called a Google Developer Expert um, mm-hmm. community. And I was invited in 2016 to Google I.O. And um, uh, during the keynote, Sundar Pichai, yeah, the, the, the CEO of, of Google, went on stage. And he said, we got to move from mobile first to AI first. Hmm. And I was like, oh, I know what they're doing. They're using these vector embeddings to, to index data, right? That's what they're doing. And then I was like, hey, maybe there's, there's an opportunity in the market to, to build something. And I was really thinking business-wise. I was just thinking open source project, started to work on it. And then more and more opportunities started to emerge. And then at some point, I was like, hey, this is, there's a business here. And uh, that's when we, when we founded the business. So we've existed for quite some time as an open source project. Um, uh, and then we decided to turn it in a, in a business. Okay. Was there any open, other open source companies you modeled the business off of, like in terms of the creation or that you found like highly attractive that gave you insight in terms of this or what's, where, where did some of the inspiration come from? I was so, um, I don't know if, if so, if people know this, but there's a, I'm, I'm so I'm, I'm Dutch, right? So I'm from Amsterdam and there's like a famous search company for also from Holland that, you know, started in Holland um, called Elasticsearch. What is it and called? I always Sorry? looked up to these. Elasticsearch. Elasticsearch? Okay. And uh, yeah, it's, it's a very big search company. And it's also an infrastructure company, right? So, um, and you also had like companies like MongoDB. And I was always looking up to these kind of companies, right? It's like, what if there's like one day I can do something like that too? And um, so that was how, how I was inspired. So that's not per se from a technical angle, but more from a... Um, you know, business, like building a, like a, a business that you, there's something awesome about knowing that you're like powering so many applications in the world, mm-hmm. but not be, I'm not, but that you're not like the, the face of it. So it's like not B2C there. It is always B2B to C. Right. And, and these, I mean, I'm, I'm now, I'm now in Vegas, right? So I'm, I'm at reInvent and then you see all these database companies that are basically powering the world. Right. And that is just exciting to try to be part of that and to work on being part of that. So that combination of this whole, back then we didn't use the term AI, we just called it ML, 
this opportunity we saw with machine learning and, and building core infrastructure was just very excited to me. So I was inspired by these companies and I learned from these, um, uh, from these companies and I talked to a lot of people who worked at these companies, et cetera, just to learn like, how was that done? And, and I'm just, that's just inspiration, you know, for me to, to build our business. Uh, yeah. Today. No, that, I mean, that makes a lot of sense that I never heard of that, that search company that you mentioned, Elastic, right? Uh, so that's, that's really insightful from that aspect. And, and, you know, I mean, there's so many companies around the world. Hello, this is Ryan here. Real quick, if you are enjoying this episode, please hit the subscribe button and leave a comment or review. If you want more help or just want to learn more about what the top SaaS CEOs and founders are doing, check out my website at www.ryanstaley.io. Join my newsletter, check out other free content resources I have there, and let me know if you want to scale your business. Now back to the episode. Who would you identify as like your biggest competitors and or people that you compete with or people that um, are in the same kind of space as you? Yeah. So that's actually interesting that you bring that up because uh, those are the same companies also that I just mentioned. So um, uh, something that started to happen, and I, I need to give a little bit of context for the, for the listener, is that these vector embeddings, that's a, a so-called data type. So if you have text or numbers or dates or those kind of things that are, those are data types. And uh, these databases are very good at this, but this is a new data type that we started to create a database around. And these companies were pretty quick to, uh, so actually not quick. So they were like, they, they were just not doing anything. We just started to build a business. And then all of a sudden they saw the interest that the, uh, uh, especially to the open source community that people had for our for our business so what started to happen was that they started saying hey we can do that ai stuff too and um now back to the conference that i'm now if i'm now walking down the the expo floor i see these big companies that are my inspiration you know uh, uh making telling the same story as um uh, as as we're telling but the nice thing is that it's like the innovators dilemma in action, I guess, is that um, they turn into my competitors, but that does not per se mean that developers see them as um, a competitive in that space. So um, these incumbent players are, are big competitors of mine. So it's like, it's, it's interesting to see how that's, uh, how that, how that played out. I would, I did not foresee that, uh, you know, uh, two years ago. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I, it's it's really interesting how that kind of plays out sometimes um, when you least expect it. So, like, one of the other things that I noticed, too, is, like, on your website, you highlight that your solution is the easiest way to build and scale AI, applica AI applications, right? Like, and that's probably attractive to a ton of people right now. Uh, so, like, what exactly do you mean by that, right? And is that for technical folks, non-technical folks, like... You know, who is that messaging for and then who predominantly do you serve? Yeah. So this, this is a wonderful question, right? So it's like a little bit on a meta level, like what, why that messaging, right? So the thing is, if you, if you build a, if you build an infrastructure company, like we're doing, and I mean the software infrastructure company, then the question is like, how are we, so there's like this, are you familiar with this diffusion of innovations model? We have the innovators, you know, the early adopters. Yeah, early majority, yeah exactly. Late majority. Yeah, so this is this distribution, right? It's a, it's a bell curve, and then in the middle you have the, the the early majority and the late majority. And 
at the beginning, the, the innovators that you have, those people are extremely smart, right? They, they read the literature. They understand what's happening. They know how to find you. They ask very complex questions about the technology, like how does the index, you know, interact with that, blah, 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 that kind of stuff. They're very smart. But the question then is like, that's all nice and fun, but that's just a very small portion of the, um, uh, of the audience, right? So of my potential customer base. So the thing is like, how do I get to the bell in the bell curve? And there are kind of two ways to do that if you have an infrastructure company. Number one is what I like to call talk down. So they say like, hey, we're the expert. Look at this, all this complex stuff that we do. It's like, it's very complex. Look at it. But if you want to build AI stuff, just come to us because we're the experts. The other way is um, to do it is like to, to, have, uh, you know, the, to have a helping hand, as I like to call it, right? So to reach out to people and say, like, hey, if you want to do all that greatness, like that, that AI greatness, like we're here to help, right? Let us help you be successful. And that's what you see in that messaging. So what we try to get across in that messaging is the developers, where our potential customers who go to the website, get through that messaging, we're here to help through software, to the products we sell them, to the open source things we have, to the um, educational material that we have, to the what our developer relations team is doing, all these kind of things, we're here to help. So what you try to achieve with that messaging, what you see on the website is we're here to help. Okay. So that makes sense. And so is that more on the technical side or more on the non-technical side? I would guess technical just based on some of the things that we're talking about. Yeah, so that goes back to the to to what I mentioned in the beginning of the conversation. It's like you have a bottom up, yeah, move. Okay, so more like the technical the developers. I gotcha. So yeah, but there's something important to bear in mind too, right? So the um the if you if you move up in the organization, right? So you let's go from the developers out of the people leading to like more VP level, director level, that kind of stuff. The um, the generations of people that now um, sit in those seats they often have a more technical background than their um, predecessors, right? So people more came from a business background or like, hey, we don't, we don't, we know that tech is important, but we have no clue how that stuff works. And that's kind of changing, right? So it's changing now from people who might have, so maybe at banks or something. And I sometimes talk to VPs at banks who did not start on the business side of the bank, but who started as software developers mm. in the bank. And, and learned business stuff and moved up, right? So that means that if in, in addressing that, these people, they, they can consume that messaging too, right? So they understand what we're doing. They know what it means. So, um, and that is a big shift that's that's happening. So if you go all the way back to the the, uh, the, the big winner of the first wave of database technology is like, uh, is, is Oracle, which was very top down, yeah. right? So this is the database you're going to use I don't care how you do it. That's what you're going to use. These times are gone. It's over. And so the pre, the second wave of database technology, where the big winners were the, the MongoDBs, et cetera, and, and, and even the snowflakes of this world, right? It was like these, these at the top, these people started to understand, we need to listen to our developers because they actually know how to build these products. And now we are this third wave of what we call the AI native uh, infrastructure. It's changed again in the sense that the people who are now at like a VP level, et cetera, don't have that pure business background, but actually have the tech background and later adopted that business background. Hmm. So um, you, you, in moving up to the organization, you try to make sure that that messaging is able 
to capture these people. And they ask different questions. So a developer asks, how fast is it? And a VP says, like, how expensive is it? But they, you can use the same language to achieve those goals. Okay. So you're taking like a, effectively like a product-led growth approach that was previously, yes, you know, top-down, which makes sense uh, from that perspective. Yes. So, so like, let me let me ask you. So like, there's a lot changing, right? And in in this space, at an incredible rate. So, what do you see as the future of AI in the next twelve months, specifically for business and in real-world use cases? Like, where do you see it heading, and where do you see are the dangers and opportunities? Yeah. So the um, for a long time, these AI applications, also when we started with VVA, they were just not past the point of good enough. So people were playing with it. They were just like trying stuff out, but it was just not, it was just not good enough. And then we got the large language models. And now all of a sudden it tipped over. It was like we passed that point of, of a good enough. So that turned a lot of that, you know, it opened the eyes of a lot of people to like, hey, actually we can, we can build stuff with this. And um, um, uh, I have to mention ChatGPT here because ChatGPT was an eye opener for a lot of people like, oh, so this is what we can do mm-hmm. with these language models, right? And, and bear in mind, language models is the one type of model, right? right? You have the image models, the multi-model, et cetera. So this is one type. So there was like an eye opening effect. So people went into um, uh, exciting kicking the tire mode fast and what was very interesting to see was that the disruption that the models brought to certain businesses especially on the the mid-size of the sme you know market segment they were like oh boy we have been spending like two years on building our product and now with that gen ai stuff somebody can build it in their basement like you know in in a weekend Mm -hmm. because you have the on one end you have the model and on the other end you have the vector database technology we combine them together and we're good to go. So they were the first to move. They were like, okay, we, we need to move fast because if we don't adopt, we're dead, right? And um, now the question is for 2024, right? So for, for next year is like, um, that excitement is there in the enterprise, but how do we make sure that, that we really can go to production and that we can bring it to their customers as well? Because... AI, and I don't mean this, I really mean this, it's like a seismic shift in how we build technology. I don't, I don't mean that in a, you know, in a marketing-y kind of way. It's really a different way of building technology. And that's all nice, great, and fun. But people, you build, we're, we're in the current, like, you know, in this, in this phase of, with everybody in our industry, you know, building trust in the models that people go like, we, we, you know, we believe that this adds a lot of value to our customers. So the customers of my customers, basically. And and that's where we are right now. And it was the second part of your question that I forgot. So uh, I would just say risk and opportunity. So we're, what's the risk, right? So that's kind of like where we're going, where you're saying it's transforming yeah. businesses. And and like some, just to give you a little more thoughts in terms of my insight, I'm, I'm speaking specifically to agents, right? Because like, if you look at the arc of what OpenAI is doing, which is influencing the entire market is... You know, and like just to break it down, and I talk about this a lot, is like they give you the model for free, basically get training data on how people are using it. Then they start monetizing it, and then they're doing the same thing with GPTs. They're giving it for free. They're going to look at what are the best workflows and prompting to create that structure. And then I think that's going to be the foundation for creating agents from that. So they're they're doing a really good job at um, like their approach. I'm curious what your take on that is, because I, I think that's going to create a seismic shift in the way that we work, not just create products. 
Yeah, so software is since forever, software has been the, the products that we're, the, the most successful products in software have been very binary. And um, what do I mean with that? With binary, I mean is that you, you, you build your product in a way that the output is A or B, right? And uh, so, for example, if you take the Excel example, if you, if you take cell B5 and you fill in a 6 and you shut the thing down and you start up again, you want it to be a 6 again. Mm-hmm. It's going to be right or it's going to be wrong. Or if you look at consumer products, I, um, I really like what's... Um, so if you take, for example, a an, an, an consumer app as Tinder, the software behind that, just to swipe left and right, right, that's very binary. So if you swipe to left, then there's a connection. If you swipe right, there's not a connection. Right. It's very, that's very binary. But we're running into the limits of what we can do with that, the types of applications we can build with it. So where does the opportunity sit? Well, in everything that's in between zero and one, right? So, for example, I spoke with to 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 stick with the with the with the um, the Tinder uh, example. I spoke with the ex CEO of Tinder, and she now started a new business mm-hmm. where she's saying, like, actually, we're now building a dating app where you're not sw- swiping left and right, but where the model helps you to find a perfect match. Right? Mm. It's more. It became more in, in between one and zero. Right? A completely new way of, and this is like a tiny, tiny, tiny niche, right? This is just dating apps, right? To look at building these kind of applications. So the opportunity and the risk are the same. The opportunity is finally we got to a stage where we can start to build this this um, tremendous new, you know, uh, uh, world open up where we can build new applications that, that sit somewhere between zero and one rather than being one or zero. That's also the risk. Because the risk is that if you use a generative model to help you write a legal document, mm-hmm. that it might make a mistake. That's the risk. And the risk trade-off is going to be, well, how far do you want to, you know, how many, how much risk are you willing to take, basically? Right? So, and that's where the, where the trade-offs will, will sit. So it's a, um, the, the way we deal with the systems and what we are willing to accept from the systems is going to drastically change. Because again, back in the past, that was just, it was zero or one. So if you add a database, you stored something in it. And if it did not return what you stored in it, then people were like, okay, yeah, that's, it's not a good database. But now the database is helping you to make that, have the model make decisions. And the model may, might make a right decision from a purely technical perspective, but from you as a human, from a subjective perspective you might not like what comes out. And that is a completely new way of building technology applications and those kind of things. And we need to, as, you know, as a society, we need to figure out how to, how to do that because we don't know. It's new. Hmm. Interesting. I never heard anybody explain it in that way before. So that's, that's like a interesting way to approach it. I can see exactly what you're saying. Cause it, it is true. Like it's in the past has always been that one or zero for the most part. And now it's more, we're relying on machines to infer what is the best, right? Uh, Almost like, I don't want to use this as an example, but like Instagram or Facebook ads, right? Where um, relying on them to identify to an extent, right? What are our preferences based on all the data that they collect, which there's pluses and minuses to that. So, um, so really interesting. Okay. So are you doing anything on your platform with, uh, or, or do you see a lot of use cases for leveraging agents on your platform 
uh, or infrastructure or anything like that? And if so, we'd love to hear like some examples that you see or that you're really impressed with. Yeah. So, so, so agents play a very important role because, um, when, um, when, uh, when ChatGPT was released, a lot of eye opening of, you know, effects with people that were like, Hey, we want to do something too. But now they had a problem because if you took this large model and let's say that you have a legal use case, right? And you say, okay, we have a lot of legal documents, but <laughs> if we fine tune the model on these legal documents, it just is often wrong and it hallucinates a lot. If you want to need to train like a completely new model with these documents, we don't have the, we don't have the know-how or the money to do it because these things are expensive. Right. Is there another way to do that? Can we do it in another way? And the answer is yes, hmm. you can. And that is a, a technical term for that is um, uh, retrieval augmented generation or RAG in short. And it's actually, it's in the, it's, it's in the, in the definition, right? So it's when you do retrieval from the model, you augment what's generated by something that's coming from the database. And in this case, that works very well with the vector database. So you take a generative, if you build an agent, you have a generative model, you have a vectorization model, and in the middle, you have the vector database. So you run your legal, so if you build an, an, an agent to, to, to help you with like legal tasks, right? So for example, let's say that you say, hey, we, I've seen a, a startup company that is uh, building an agent um, I saw that a hackathon, so I don't know if they if they actually continue with it. But they they're building an agent where they're saying like every time a startup does an uh, investment, the paperwork is like in the majority of cases the same, right? So if you take a history of uh, uh, all these these legal documents, you run them to a vectorizer, store them in the vector database, and the agent tells the generative model, hey, this is startup X Y Z building A B C write the right documents for me. Then it then the generative model gets that information from the vector database and based on that it generates something. So long story short that, that we, we call it the rack stack. Hmm. Right? So the vector database and the generative models together. This is when we have weaviate, right? So we you weave the model and the database the, the vector database together. That is used a lot to build agents. Hmm. Yeah, I can see that definitely. Because that that ensures that the data it's pulling is not just random crap, right? Makes it's it's like it gives the viability yep. of like the research component to it. So that makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah, that's really interesting. Any other use cases like that that you think are 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 pretty cool that you would you could explain? Yeah, sure. So the the um, the the thing that I'm super excited about is actually now. What's coming? Uh, there are two things. So one is what we call generative feedback loops. Mm -hmm. So a generative feedback loop is this. So think about like an agent, uh, but now the what we just were describing, right? The the flow is so you have the data, you have the vectorization model, the vector database, the generative model, agent, and user. It's like it's like a and you could draw that on like a horizontal line, but you can also draw that in a circle. So where the agent gets an assignment and stores that back into your database. So we actually have something on the on the website with um, an example with Airbnb data. So there's Airbnb data that's missing descriptions or it has incorrect descriptions. So it's like, hey, you tell the you tell the model you have access to the vector database. It's full of Airbnb descriptions. Generate uh, Airbnb descriptions or validate if they're correct hmm. and fix it. So the database starts to fix itself. And um, 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 
you, you might be familiar with the term. Um, uh, I hope you don't mind me saying this on your podcast, but the, the terminology is shit in, shit out. Oh, yeah, totally. And, the, uh, uh, and um, I really believe that this is an opportunity to, as I like to call, uh, to turn uh, uh, chicken shit into chicken salad. <laughs> uh, because it's the first time in, in, uh, in history that the combination of models with the database can fix your um, data quality issues for you. So that's one thing that I'm excited about. And the second thing is the use cases that are emerging that are not language-based. Images, uh, fraud detection, um, um, uh, um, multimodal use cases. Mm -hmm. So where you generate something that is not in the same modality as what you put in. So, and we're just, we're just at the start of that, right? So I've seen a use case. Uh, recently that somebody built with VV8 where they said there was about cybersecurity, where they said like, hey, you have like three levels of complexity in cybersecurity. I mean, I'm simplifying it, but one is just, you know, hey, weird IP address comes in, block this stuff. The second one might be malicious software coming in through an email or something. But the third one is like a hacker is attempting to do something or you get weird emails or phishing emails. And then having a database and infrastructure that helps you solve that. Because today that's still done by human beings. Hmm. That is something that's happening. I spoke to a company in the US where somebody said, like, I have that, 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 that CTO told me, I have a, um, um, how do you call it, a, um, uh, a customer service team of almost 30K people. Wow. And they look in these databases, they answer emails and that kind of stuff. If we can just take 25% away of that with like with these models, that's exciting because we can help our customers better, right? And uh, those kind of use cases are extremely exciting. Yeah. It's wild, man. Well, unfortunately, Bob, we're up We're up on time. I could talk to you about this probably for another hour because I'd, I'd love to nerd out on this stuff just <laughs> like you, as I could tell. So where can people find you? Where can they find out more about WeVA? Where can they start building on your platform? Yeah, so it's just um, weeviate.io. They can start from there. I myself, I'm on all the regular channels, the uh, the, uh, the LinkedIn, Twitter. Um, I would love it when people reach out. So we're very active also on 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 the, on the socials, just to show people what they can build, what they can do. So it's or my name or the company Weeviate, and and that's just a, a search away. Uh, we're we're very very active online, so it will be easy for people to find us. Awesome. Well, thanks for being on, man. This was a lot of fun and appreciate you being on the show. Thank you so much for having me. All right. And we will see you all on the next episode. Thank you for checking out the Scale Up Show. My mission in life is to help founders and revenue leaders avoid all the pain and suffering in revenue growth so they can flip it and create a life of their own design. So if you enjoyed this show, please like, review, share it on social, and more importantly, just share it with a friend. Share it with someone that you think could learn and benefit from what you heard on today. But the more we get the message out, the more people we could help, the bigger the impact we make, and the bigger the community gets, which helps everybody. So once again, thank you for being a loyal listener. I appreciate you and look forward to seeing you on the next episode.